This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I am joined, as always, by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at The Motley Fool and the advisor on The Motley Fool's Rule Your Retirement newsletter. Yes. Yes. That's me. On today's very St. Patty's Day episode, we're going to walk you through five steps that will lead to your very own Pata Goals. If you guys couldn't notice, we we started with the title of the show and then we had to work backwards to see how we could make this pun work. The proverbial or maybe literal pile of gold at the end of your rainbow is attainable and we'll show you how to set yourself up for success with some advice for goal setting. We're also going to answer your question about getting started investing when you're just a wee lad of 15. All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. Today's Answers Answers comes to us from Kevin. Kevin writes, Hi, my name's Kevin. I'm 15 years old, and I just recently subscribed to your Rule Breakers advice. I'd like to start by saying my mother and father know less than I do about investing. As a mother, Kevin, I'd like to pause here and tell you that your parents know a lot more about you over other stuff, so listen to them. (laughs) Kevin continues, "Uh, I convinced them to allow me to subscribe to Rule Breakers and open a custodial account, but that's as far as I got. I'd like to keep it short and say that I would greatly appreciate any extra advice The Motley Fool could offer, as I'm fairly young and naive, but I believe investing is the right path for me. My main question being, where do I start for someone as young and uninformed as I am? Thank you for your time. Sincerely, a full name, Kevin. Kevin! Oh, Kevin, you made our day. You're so great. So, Kevin, for today's Answers Answers, we asked David Kretzman to join us. He's an analyst here at The Fool, but he's particularly well-equipped to answer your question because he started investing when he was... 12. 12. And yeah, wow. in fact, That's this is so this is so cute. He his dad your dad was a member of the Fool, right? Yep. And you would log in under your dad's account and post stuff on the Fool boards and have these investing conversations and all these people had no idea that you were just 12 years old. The scary part is they actually listened to what I said, analyzing <laughs> companies and sharing investing <laughs> advice and they found out I was 13 and they still listened. Really? Yeah, that, that was a miracle, I think. Yeah. All <laughs> right. Cool. So, so for Kevin I think you. I think you guys could probably go and have like dinner together and have a good conversation. Let's do it. But um, for starters, what's your best advice for Kevin here? Fool.com is, is a great place to start. Shameless plug. Um, <laughs> we have the 13 steps to investing foolishly. Uh, there you can learn basic investing terms and just get build a foundation for your investing knowledge. And then just remember that when you're investing in a stock, you're buying a piece of a company. So you don't need to start with really complex companies. Start with companies that you understand and that you interact with on a daily basis. So I work on rule breakers and uh, some companies that Kevin might want to start by looking at will be companies that you're familiar with. So maybe Monster Beverage, uh, Chipotle, Alphabet, or Google, Under Armour, Facebook, companies like that. Because young people, I, I think, actually have a great advantage when it comes to investing because they're often on the forefront of, of trends. They notice what their friends and their family and um, yeah, all, all d- different sorts of people are, are buying and interacting. So Kevin sounds like a little Alex P. Keaton here, and Kevin's too young to even know what that reference is. <laughs> but do you have any advice, either of you, for how he could make this more of a family a family activity and get his parents involved in investing as well? Um, well, that's a great question. I mean, his parents observe, have their own financial goals. They'll want to retire, which is the number one goal for most people. And they probably are investing. They're contributing money to their 401k. So it's certainly a way for him to say, look, like, this is something you probably should know a little bit about as well. So let's learn together. Um, I definitely think it's a great idea for parents who want to get their kids involved to match any contributions or open the account mm-hmm. for them to give them the money and let them have control over some of the investment decisions. 
Um, and when you're, I, I would imagine if you're, um, both the kids and the parents are investing in the same companies. That's sort of a you're all in it together type of event, and that gives you something to talk about and something to analyze together. Yeah, I would say uh, it, it's certainly a great family activity. I know for me, growing up, uh, you know, my dad and I would talk stocks every now and then. We didn't necessarily have something scheduled out, but you know, if if your parents or it might be your mom or your dad, if uh, you know they they want to talk, you know, once a month, just set a time, you know, to to talk about three companies that you're looking at and which one should should we invest in. You can talk about it, and again, I think. When you're talking about companies whose products and services that you use, it, it sort of adds another element to it because, hey, we could become a part owner in this company, you know, like Netflix or Disney, companies whose products we, we love. So it brings, brings another element of ownership into the equation. But I, I think it's a great, uh, you know, bonding activity for, for a family. David, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, and Kevin, best of luck. Stay foolish. Happy St. Patrick's Day, you guys. Thanks, Allison. To you as well. If you're listening to the show on the day it comes out, which is a Tuesday, that means St. Patrick's Day is just a couple days away from here. And that's why we thought it would be a fun opportunity to talk about how you can attain and reach your pot of goals at the end of your rainbow. <laughs> that's so bad. I went, as soon as we thought of this idea for the show, I was like, and I get to do an awful Irish accent. Irish accent. This is this is great. It's so not, it's not awful. It's pretty awful. I wasn't going to say that. Thank you, Dan. So Dan Maseka. I thought we going to call Danny Danny Boy today. Danny to- Danny Boy Maseka joins us today. He's a financial planner for Motley Fool Wealth Management, a wee sister company of the Motley Fool. <laughs> and he's here to help us down the path following that rainbow to your again potagols. This is so tortured, but let's keep going. Hi, Dan. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, I'm happy to be here. Or should I say, Danny boy, the pipes, the pipes. Are you not going to join me on I this? I don't know the words. I'm not a, I'm not a wee bit Irish. When Everybody we, knows the words to Danny boy. I know the pipes are calling. Yeah, they're calling from That's Glen to Glen and across the mountainside. All right, so people come to you, Dan, and they say, um, you're a financial planner. I want you to help me. Uh, here's what I want. I want a big old pile of money waiting for me in t- 10, 10 years, maybe, when I retire. Right. So so people will come with, with this figure in mind, and a and million dollars is an easy number to think of. Do people often say that? They're like, Dan, I want a mil- how do I make a million dollars? I would say that's the most common number. So Just thrown about. Okay. How coincidental that everyone needs a million dollars to retire. <laughs> um, but So from that point, we need to dive deeper, right? How did you get to a million dollars? Why is this number right for you? And um, you know, I think people just think of that number as that's what you need because that's a lot of money. So how do <laughs> right. I get there? Right, and you're like the measure of success is if you're a millionaire, right? Oh, I'm a millionaire, so now I've made it. So that must mean I have enough money. Even if it's a right. one millionaire. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A million is a million. <laughs> a million's a million. It makes you a millionaire. All right. So what is the first step then when someone comes um, or wants to talk to you uh, about helping them achieve their financial goals? What's kind of the first step that you encourage them to take? So I think the first step is to do some prep work before getting to a financial planner and talk it through with your spouse or whoever's dependent on your financial well-being to make sure you're all on the same page before you just come up with these ideas in your head and and let them out for the first time when you're in front of a a financial planner. Does that happen a lot for you? It happens all the time. One of the craziest experiences I ever had was a first meeting with with new clients who came into my office. And uh, usually we start with introductions and, and what do you hope to get out of this whole process? 
and they start going into their retirement aspirations and what's going to happen down the road. And the husband tells me about the child they're going to adopt. And, and the wife looks at him as if he's crazy because she's never heard this before. And uh, as it turns out, it was something they had talked about a long time ago and just never brought up again that one took for a given and the other just had never thought about it. And uh, so a one hour financial planning meeting then turns into a counseling session. And, uh, you know, they go home with a lot more to talk about than they, than they left with. <laughs> Did they end up adopting a kid? Uh, I actually don't know. <laughs> I doubt it. I seriously doubt it. Yeah, it doesn't sound like, doesn't sound like it. Yeah, actually, this is another example of where uh, spouses need to, need to communicate. Because I certainly have had the experience of talking with clients and finding out that one was essentially hiding accounts from the other spouse. Crazy. And it's often due to different risk tolerances. Like you know, one spouse is not comfortable with having a lot of stocks and the other spouse is like, okay, I want to do it. So I'm going to have this little account on the side where I do all this trading. Yeah, that's actually very common. It's happened on, really? on multiple occasions with me. And, and once even I got the phone call after they left the meeting to share with me the other assets they have to meet their financial goals that the spouse doesn't need to know about and, and oh, does not know about. They said, they said, she doesn't need to know about right. this, by the way. What did you do? I mean, I put it down in their fact finder and, and suggested they talk about it. But <laughs> I think this, I think I had that question on my CFP exam. And uh, I can't tell you what I knew what the answer was, but I think it might have been to terminate the relationship. But that's always what they say the answer is. Not to terminate your professional relationship, not, term- not, not their terminate relationship. their marriage. No. Okay. <laughs> you guys Got are that. officially divorced that now. That might be a suggestion. My recommendation is you should get divorced. Yeah, maybe though. I mean, geez, if you're hiding significant accounts until, and calling back the personal, your advisor to say like, by the way, she doesn't need to know about this. Yes. At this point, I'll bring up the study that found that that spouses found financial infidelity more disturbing than sexual infidelity. I don't know if I agree with the results, but just so everybody knows, hiding money from your spouse can cause a lot of problems. No, it's okay. one of the largest causes for divorce, right? Yep. Jeez, I had no idea. Yeah. yeah, you better tell Ron about those accounts. <laughs> well, <laughs> how do you know about them? I didn't tell you oh, I, know, I know everything. So it's important to talk with people about what you're trying to achieve together rather than separately. Um, some spouses aren't as involved with the daily financial decisions of the household. So you want to make sure that they know where you are and where you stand so you can, you can build from that point. Yes, that takes us to our step number two, which is... To figure out where, where, basically where you are on the path, right? Because if you're starting on a map, you need to know where you are before you can figure out where you're trying to get. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and I think figuring out where you are takes two forms. The first is kind of from a balance sheet standpoint: what do you have saved? What do you owe? And kind of map it out for yourself. That's the easy part. The harder part is is doing a budget hmm. because no one knows what they're spending or, or where it is. Uh, so my colleague Ross from downstairs says he likes to call it a quick budget where you just take what you're making every month and figure out what you're saving, and then you have to assume that everything else is being spent somewhere. Right, it's going somewhere. And right. then, yeah. <laughs> is that a reasonable number? Right. Um, are you spending more than you're bringing in if you're not saving and your balances just keep getting lower? Yeah, and then the flip side of that, too, is if, if you figure out that, yeah, I am saving enough to accomplish my goals, you don't really have to budget because everything's going where it needs to be for the future. Who cares what you do with it now? You, you've got total freedom. Right. You just need to be efficient with that saving. So you want to make sure you optimize it. Right. All right. Now it's time for step number three. And this is a tough one. It's identifying what you really want. Because you don't really want a million dollars or a big pot of gold, right? Right. You want whatever that million dollars is going gonna, is gonna to achieve for you. 
So uh, hopefully in, in step number one, when you're talking this out with your spouse, or even if it's self-reflection, you can identify you know, what being rich means or what being happy means. And What and get, does a million dollars buy you? Right, exactly. It's time or... Peace of mind, peace of mind uh, yeah. family, you know, whatever it is. And, and so those are the values of, of money to you. And uh, identifying what you really want is, is really the, res, the tangible results of those values. I think for a lot of people, if you ask most people, what's your number one financial goal? It's retirement. Mm-hmm. But people often haven't really thought about what that means for them. Do they really want to stop working and have 24-hour-a-day leisure time? And often people find they actually don't. And what they really needed was a change of career or working part-time or devoting more time to charity or something that's more meaningful. Um, but it really wasn't flat-out retirement. Yeah, the phrase I've started using is financial independence because you can keep working if you want to, you can take a job that pays less because it makes you happier or just commit yourself to volunteer work, but you're independent to do what you want to do when you want to do it. I like how Dan calls it financial independence and Sean Gates has a calls it FU money. Right. So I think that tells <laughs> you a lot that. about the different styles of investment planning here at the Molly Pool. Whatever works for you. So how do you get at that? Like how do you needle away at someone to really get at the core of what what they want to do? Cuz I don't know cuz this is I this applies to me. Like I'm like, yeah, of course I want to retire one day, mm-hmm. but I don't know what I don't know what I want to do in retirement at all. Yeah, so so it's just a lot of Help me find out what I want to do, Dan. It's a lot of asking questions and the important thing is also to know that it's not going to be the same forever. So what you want, might want to do today may not be the same thing you want to do in 10 years from now. Like adopting a kid. Yeah, I don't want to adopt a kid, Mom. By the way, not yet. Um, so, uh, so it's dynamic. So you want to review your plans regularly um, because there can be mat- material changes uh, as life goes on, and you want to be able to adapt to it. So, um, you know, envision what retirement looks like to you now, and, and establish a goal and start working towards it. And then, you know, you revisit a plan annually or as needed, typically, and uh, can reroute yourself. Okay. All right. Step four is to prioritize. And bro, you've actually brought us your, um, you called it Masbro's Hierarchy of Financial Needs or something Some, like that? Something like that. Working title. Something Working like that, title. Right. All right, tell me right. about this hierarchy. So these are just the top 10 things that people should do in prioritizing them um, in the context of everything Dan is talking about. Um, but when you have all these things that you feel like you should do or you want to do, how do you prioritize them? So, I've come up with this list. Number one, learn to spend less than you make. Two, contribute to a 401k with a match. Number three, get rid of double-digit debt. That's usually credit cards, things like that. Number four, get life insurance if people rely on your income, usually kids. Number five, build an emergency fund. Six, buy a home if it makes financial sense. Not everyone has to be a homeowner. Number seven, contribute unmatched dollars to an IRA or a 401k if it's a good 401k. Eight, get an estate plan. Nine, save for your kids' college education. And ten, pay down lower interest debt. And so we're talking about student loans, auto loans, and mortgage. And to put all that in the context of stuff that Dan said earlier, you really do want to think in terms of the value. So it's not just you're contributing to your 401k with a match. Um, you're, what you're trying to do is you're trying to buy something that's important for you in the future. And that's something like Jason Zweig of the Wall Street Journal has often said. He doesn't call it his 401k. He calls it his villa in Tuscany fund add your values on top of these things, because otherwise when you hear that list, it's kind of boring stuff. Right. And and prioritization can be hard because some things will get in the way of in your life and, and it'll kind of set your priorities backwards. Uh, for example, I was speaking with new parents the other day on the phone and 
And all of a sudden, that little baby is their whole world. So they want to make sure it has every it. Everyone yells at me when I say that. He or she uh, has every opportunity in the world to succeed. So they want to you know, ditch their retirement savings and start funding college. Um, and, and I'd say that's probably something that most people do, is, is they want to focus on college savings for their kids. But, but really, your own retirement should come before that, because you can borrow for things like college if you need to. There are scholarships available. Your child might be very smart. Um, they might not go to college. And, and if you've saved enough for retirement, there are actually ways to use retirement savings to pay for college without paying penalties. So you'll have options. Right, exactly. And I think that's why going through a list like this is really important, just to, to spot check you. Ideally, you can do a lot of these concurrently, like you can save in your 401k and get life insurance at the same time. But uh, think about it in terms of like, okay, I've got one hour right now to work on something about my financial goals. I think this is a good way to think about, all right, which one should I do right now? All right. So, the fifth and final step to following that rainbow down to your pata goals is SMART goal setting. SMART being an acronym. Yeah. So Please explain. Please unpack this. Whenever we do goals, whether it was for personal business reasons or helping clients identify goals, um, we said to make them SMART goals, which means they should be specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound. And the one that always sticks out to me is the achievable part of that. One of the more unachievable goals is, is people who come to us with this returns expectation and you know you see these crazy numbers online or on TV of people earning 30, 40% returns and uh, you know you don't always have them in the right context but you know when someone sit down sits down with us without significant investing experience that might be their expectation well i hope to earn 30 or 40% year after year and you have to back them out and say hold on you know that's not a typical year in the market and then figure out why they want to earn that 30 or 40% and and show that there are other ways to achieve their retirement goals Without necessarily crazy year after year returns, um, and you know it's not always exciting or sexy, but you know you put some dollars aside every month, and those dollars will compound and grow. And, and the time value of money is one of the greatest things in the world. In your experience, what percentage of your time would you say do you spend sort of bringing people down to earth and saying like, "Yeah, I know you want to retire at this time. It's probably not going to happen. So let's do this to have it happen by then." I think that's probably the main thing that we do. And even if it's not bringing people back down, it's just expectation setting and uh, and keeping people even keeled. So when the market's been fluctuating over the past few months, we've been getting calls of sell, 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 like sit on cash. What are you guys doing? Like, but but we need to point back to the plan that we made, which takes into account good years and bad years in the market, and has a long, you know, decades-long time horizon in some occasions, and say, you know, we're okay. We plan for this. You have cash. You don't need it now, and um, you know, just get people to do nothing is almost what I say. We <laughs> our main goal is really yeah. yeah. So it's counseling. You know, they know that they shouldn't sell and sit on the sideline because when they did that a few years ago, it didn't work out for them. This time's different though. I feel it. It's, it's <laughs> like a, it's like an echo. There's an article in this month's Journal of Financial Planning, everyone's favorite magazine. I'm sure. Uh, and it's entitled, Propensity to Plan, a Key to Health and Wealth. And the very first sentence is, a person's propensity to plan is a trait that has been linked with successful financial and health outcomes. Mm-hmm. And then it, it just cites several studies that show that people actually sit down and try to figure out how much they need, what their priorities are, how they're going to do it. That alone indicates that there are a higher likelihood that they're going to achieve their goals. They're going to be 
um, have more a higher net worth. They're actually going to be in better health, which is something we've discussed in a previous episode. Um, they show that people who do this actually have higher income because they're better at planning out their career and being strategic that way. Um, and then there was another study by uh, the Consumer Federation that found that people who have specific goals, like actually written them down, are far, are far more like, likely to achieve them. All right, well, let's do a quick recap here. So, first step is to talk to your loved ones, spouses in particular. Go ahead, tell them about your secret little account at Ameritrade or whatever. Uh, number two, figure out what you already have. So, basically, take stock of where you are and at the very least, what's coming in and what's going out. Uh, number three, identify what you really want. If you really want a pile of money, you know, just to like sleep on it at night, <laughs> I guess maybe that then you're okay. But for everyone else in the world, you need to think, all right, what is this million dollars going to get me in life? The fourth step is to prioritize. And Bro gave us ten financial needs and where he believes they should fall in priority. I'm not going to go back through them because again, it was ten. But <laughs> And finally, once you figure it out, once you're on the same page with your spouses and loved ones and you figured out what you really, really want and you've prioritized your financial goals, then it's time to set smart goal setting techniques. And you can find more of this online for yeah. smart goal setting. This, we didn't come up with this. No, we're not that clever. Um, so if you did want a money bed, for example, you should figure out how much money it would take to build a, a bed to your liking. Which bills are the most comfortable? Yeah. Do you want old bills, new you bills? You want well circulated bills. I, I would think, think you would too. But maybe not even U.S. currency. I mean, there are other bills out there. It's true. So these are the five rainbow steps that you can take to achieve your pata goals. Very nice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so Alison Dobra. It got better. Get me lucky charms. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, thank you for joining us. I mean, Danny boy. Thank you, Danny, Danny. boy. Um, this was. There's a lot to unpack in this episode, so we may have to come back in the future and um, maybe address some of these a little bit more. Come back again. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, in honor of St. Patty's Day, we decided to do a little research and scrounge up a few money lessons that you can share while drinking a pint of Guinness. We assume you're going to be sitting at the bar like everyone does on St. Patrick's Day. We're all going to be at home, by the way. Every last one of us. Yes, bro? Yeah, I have never been in a bar on St. Patrick's Day. I'll just have have you all know that. But, yeah. but we assume you are. So as you are sharing this pint of Guinness with your fellow Irishman for the day, then here's a few little um, money lessons that you can share. So at 27, in 1752, Arthur Guinness, he was the founder of Guinness Brewery. His godfather, who was the Church of Ireland Archbishop of Cashel, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, bequeathed him a hundred pounds in his will. And Guinness invested the money in a brewery that was just outside Dublin. This translates to, it's actually I actually tried to do the math to figure out all right, how much was a hundred pounds in 1752 Irish pounds. Anyway, roughly uh, about $30,000. So, what's the lesson here? Bro, you, you tell me, Allison. What's the lesson? The lesson here is that instead of spending that one hundred pounds on beer, he invested <laughs> it in beer. Yes, that's true. And that investment paid off. It's funny you said it because the the thing that got me 
first invested or interested in investing was listening to a radio show it was the Rick Edelman show and he was telling somebody don't drink coke buy shares of coke and it was that was literally the first investment lesson i ever got so i'm totally on board with that lesson there you go all right next lesson so in 1759 guinness went to the city and set up his own business he took a nine this is pretty famous most people know this he took out a 9000 year lease on a four-acre brewery that was at St. John's Gate. Um, He took it over from the descendants of Sir Mark Rainsford for an (laughs) annual rent of 45 pounds. Again, converting it to today's dollars, that's 6,700 a year for rent. And that's and that's still what they're paying. It's a nine thousand year lease. Supposedly, it's hanging on the wall of the St. John Gates Brewery, St. James's Gate Brewery. Why nine thousand? Did you come across that? Like, why? That seems like such a large, arbitrary number. I don't know. That is quite something. So the lesson. Be a really, really, really long-term investor. <laughs> yeah, essentially try to get a nine thousand year lease for super cheap. Okay, gotcha. that's that's the lesson there. All right, third lesson. Uh, in the Guinness family, at least in the early days, it was the most able son rather than the eldest who was put in charge of both the family fortune and the brewery. So, the lesson there, and as a second born child, I think it's an awesome lesson, is to make sure you have a good succession plan and to give it to the person who is um, going to do the best with it, as opposed to just the person who happened to be born first. There are, there are various sayings in various languages that basically come down to that family wealth is dissipated by the third generation. The Chinese quote is, wealth does not survive three generations. Oh. Japanese saying is, the third generation ruins the house. And the Italian saying is, from stables to stars to stables. And in the English saying is, from, from clogs to clogs in three generations. In other words, you have poor shoes, Get wealthy shoes. Nice patent leather shoes. And then you go back to clogs. With shiny buckles. From clogs to clogs in three generations. I like yep. that. You would like that. <laughs> you would. <laughs> Come on! I'm not even wearing clogs. It's summertime. You don't wear clogs in the spring. It's, it's making fun of me. So if you have family wealth, definitely make sure you are passing it on to the capable people, especially a business. The ability to run a business and start a business is not necessarily something that people inherit. Next lesson. The company was deservedly known as a good employer for its day. So they had a pension and welfare system that was way ahead of its time, and it led to an old Dublin saying, a Guinness man meant money, dead or alive. Because the pension would then go to his spouse? Is that why he still meant money if he was dead? I guess, I guess so. Irish people say stuff, so I guess that's what it means. I mean, it means yeah, they'll look out, they'll look out for you even after you die. Yeah. So look out for your family. So uh, the lesson here, of course, we at the Motley Fool are big fans of companies that treat their employees well because we believe that pays off in the end for everybody. Right. Next lesson. Apparently, there's a Guinness family curse. They talk about it all the time. Um, however, I don't really believe it. So, some people in the Guinness family, of course, died in the war. That's going to happen. But some of them also died in a lot of car crashes, maybe drunk driving, perhaps. Um, Another drowned in a bathtub after hitting her head on a toilet seat, which sounds tragic, but she was also doing heroin at the time. So, there's that. Uh, And then another one died of a cocaine overdose in 2005. And so, the lesson here is that you make your own luck. 
If you want to, if you want to live a long, happy life and not have a family curse, maybe don't do heroin. <laughs> That's a good. That's a good lesson too. I like Put that. Put that one. on your family crest. There you go. That should be in everyone's we don't financial do plan. <laughs> so those are my lessons. I guess that was like five money lessons. But I have one extra bonus fun fact. Are okay. you ready for this? I'm ready. All right. So the fifth generation Guinness brothers, Rupert, Ernest, and Walter, were sailors. Although, I mean, we're talking about yachts here. So basically, Sir Alec Guinness was conceived at a party on one of their yachts. Hence really? his surname. But his paternity has always been in doubt. That's interesting. Yep. I do know that from what I have read, he was not super thrilled about Star Wars at first. I think he called it fairy tale rubbish or something like mm-hmm. that. And then I think it sort of grew on him, but I think it bugged him that over his storied career, what he was most remembered for was being Obi-Wan Kenobi. Child, if you want to start talking about Star Wars trivia, Rick and I are going to bring it. Well, Alton um, is wearing a Star Wars shirt right, right now. I am wearing a Star Wars shirt right now. So there you go. A bunch of money lessons and some fun Guinness facts for you to share over a pint. Uh, chances are many of you have actually been to the Guinness um, brewery and know a whole lot more about this topic than I do. So whatever. Send me your, send me your emails and tell me what I got wrong. I look forward to reading them. <laughs> All right, that's the show. It is edited liltingly by Rick Engdahl. Our email is answers at fool.com. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish. Stay foolish.